I love you, bro. I love you, brother. Um, well, not correct, but just add. Uh, uh, there is an announcement in the bulletin about next week. Um, uh, so check that out um, about sharing the gospel and inviting someone. And so um, just check that over. I'm not going to read it to you, but you got it, okay? And uh, yeah, you know, getting older. <laughs> I, and I'm, uh, yeah, okay. I am uh, blessed to be able to come and share the word of the Lord here this morning. And um, yeah, you have in your bulletin a, a little outline if you want to follow along in that. I would suspect that over the years that I've been here, there's been probably numerous sermons from this passage. And guess what? I'm going to do it again. <laughs> uh, so in your Bible, 1 John chapter 1. It's always such a blessing to glean more from the Lord and his servant John. And John is now uh, many years past being the young beloved disciple that leaned on the chest of Jesus during the time of Jesus' earthly life. That period when Jesus called him out uh, of the business of the sons of Zebedee's uh, fishing business to become partners of the master's business. And at this point of writing 1 John... He is the elder statesman, so to speak. He is the lone uh, ranger apostle. Most all of them have passed on, and he alone is uh, left uh, as the last living apostle. And as I study this letter, I see uh, many themes, many key words that he uses, and one of which is, children. He addresses children, and it just comes across that he's uh, approaching it like a spiritual father for uh, his children of the faith. And so I, I want to just mention this in getting started about family. Take mental note of this, of family. We come up to the holiday season and how important is family? Even if you're single and not married, how important is family? I believe this is John's concern in writing not just 1 John, but all three of these epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He wrote these because he loves the Lord and he loves the family of God. And in writing, he is very effective in identifying the ways that false teaching has infiltrated and deceived Christians. That's very important as we consider this first chapter. So John wrote to protect God's children from false teaching as best that he could, from the strong pull of the, the attractions of the world, and then to guide them on to authentic spiritual living. Authentic. And to guide them into authentic Christ-honoring behavior. And so, 
just as it is today, it, it was so in his day, where people were living in troubling, confusing, chaotic times. It's nothing new to us today. And people were hearing all sorts of voices saying, that, oh, try this, and this is the, this is the way to go. This is the, the, the best way to get uh, prosperity. And, and try this and try that. And it hasn't changed. We still deal with that today. And it's, in some ways, kind of attractive and alluring to us. But we have to be on the lookout We have to be discerning. So many voices calling out, come and follow this, come and follow that. Uh, Find meaning and purpose with this. Just think of all the isms that we have to wade through. Humanism, secularism, pluralism, where everything, everything will count. Relativism, materialism, progressivism, atheism. What else? Other isms. Whatever you want to do, ism. It's not that far from the truth of how people respond. Well, so here this morning, uh, we learn from, I want to call him Papa John, but I don't think that's very reverent in this kind of thing, but he is acting as a fatherly advisor to God's children, isn't he? So let's look at this passage and read it. I'm just going to read chapter 1. Um, let's do that. 1 John chapter 1. What was from the beginning. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. Let's pray together. Father, I need help because I still sin. I thank You, Lord, for the truth of Your Word that shines brightly upon my life and each life here. Lord, help us in receiving 
the Word of God here this morning and respond in faith and obedience. Lord, we, we ask for your help. We can easily be distracted. So Lord, please help us to just allow you to speak to our hearts through the preaching of your word. Thank you again for this time, and thank you for your word. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled the message, Pressing On in the Practice. It really is about uh, maintaining, uh, continuing on, persevering and maintaining in the things that God has done by His grace. It's only by His grace that we can do these things. We've got a lot of uh, things to wade through in life. And here John gives us, uh, in, in the latter years of his life, he gives us some certainties to hold on to, to cling to. And so, we start with his testimony. Number one, presenting the testimony that he has. He's an eyewitness. It's his eyewitness report. What was from the beginning? And I believe that, you know, many might say, let's go back to Genesis 1 regarding the beginning. But it seems like the flow of this, the context of it, is regarding his incarnation, his beginning on his ministry in earth. And certainly, the beginning of creation, uh, he was there. Let us make man in our image. But here, I, I believe that it's, it's really pinpointing the fact that Jesus came. He was born of a virgin. He grew up in the ways of Judaism. He learned the law. Uh, he, it's like, it seems like he didn't need to. <laughs> He's God. But he went through that and learned and grew in wisdom and favor, in wisdom and favor with God and with man, right? And then his ministry started uh, come 30 years of age. And here John says, and we heard him, we heard him talk to us. We heard him talk to the multitudes. We heard him teach in amazing ways. We not only heard him, we saw him. In fact, we, we beheld him, meaning we contemplated him carefully. They didn't just kind of gaze, you know, a, a quick gaze or a quick look. They they studied this guy, this Jesus. And then it says, and we touched him with our hands. See, it was an eyewitness report. And I often wonder um, why there isn't more record from that day and that date and time of people refuting this whole thing of Christianity. Why? They couldn't find the body. The body, Jesus' body rose up from the grave and eventually ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father. And the lives of these disciples and, and the women that followed and many hundreds and thousands following, were, their lives were transformed by the risen Christ. And John is just giving his testimony here and letter B, it's, a, it's, a rock solid it's rock solid evidence. 
it's not a matter of, gee, uh, that's kind of weak and wimpy evidence here. No, he gives evidence of this. They were right there with him. They saw him. They heard him. They, they recognized what he was doing when he healed someone just by his word. All the things of his ministry. It's evidence. And then especially regarding uh, the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> At which point, uh, Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 24, See my hands, see my feet. That it, is not I that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And he showed them his hands and his feet. And then in John 20, it says that Jesus spoke to Thomas. Reach here your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it into my side. Be not unbelieving. Here's the evidence that calls for a response. Be not unbelieving, but believe. And you can rely on the testimony given here in God's Word. Folks, this is not a mythology book. It's not just merely a, a history book. No, it's the book of life. That's what John is saying. And so, he gives this evidence in his testimony. Number two it moves on to proclaim, proclaiming the message in verse 3. What we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. So what is he, what, what's the message? It's God's plan. That's, that's the message, is God's plan. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you were here last week, you got a good dose of that from Pastor Brennan. It's not about church going. It's not about being an American. It's not about being a, 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 having a certain association with a church or, or some group or club or anything. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an unchanging message, folks. John delivers it here with evidence. And it doesn't need any addition from you or me. None at all. Other than what? My trust, my obedience, my love for Him. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God's there. How do you explain this existence? Come on. How do you explain the existence that we're in and the creation that we live in? And I think scientists have... have uh, jettisoned the idea that uh, it was the Big Bang. I don't hear that anymore, do you? <laughs> How does this order come about? How does this beauty come about? Do you know? I do. The earth is the Lord's. It's all for His glory. So the Gospel starts with God and the fact that you and I have a, a big, big problem, and that's called sin. We've rebelled against Him. We've, we've turned from Him and gone our own way. And I'm worthy of judgment because of that. And you're worthy of judgment because of that. You've turned away from God. 
And he will judge. That's part of who he is. He is the judge. And he will judge sin. And so it calls for a response. The gospel calls for a response. Jesus said it. Don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Respond in faith and repentance. Repent from sin. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So, proclaiming the message was God's plan, right? Letter A. God did this. God brought it about. It's in His amazing, sovereign, loving, amazing, truthful way. And He has preserved His Word so that you would know Him, that you would come to understand. This is about... This is about God and His plan to redeem you and that you then would give Him glory in your life. That's what's going to happen in the end. Everything's going to be unto His glory. And so God did it. God's plan is the gospel of Jesus. He brought it about and the, the point is that so that sinners would repent and believe. It's a gift of salvation. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledge your sin, and come to faith in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then letter B, under proclaiming the message, it's about God's people. The idea would be that you proclaim it, that you pass it on. People are lost. People are trying to figure things out in their own reasoning. And they sure come up, you know, we all can come up with plans that just fall short. We try, you know, people try to fill the void with all sorts of, all sorts of things. And what it amounts to is just vain idols, made up idols. There's one true God, and it's Jesus. People need a Savior. People need the Lord. Let me ask something of you who are believers in Jesus Christ. Who shared the gospel with you? Who shared the gospel with you? Okay? Let that sink in, and then realize what John is saying. You know, we proclaim it to you. It's been passed down over the centuries. And it's still the, the truth of God and His Word. And the idea then is to pass it on. How are we doing in that regard? So this message, remember, it is unchanging. There is never, there is and never will be any new additions needed for it. There will never be another one. Mark down, if you're taking notes, mark down Jude 3 and 4 where it says that you and I as believers, you contend for the faith. You contend for the faith earnestly, which was, get this, once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all. It's not like we got to bring something up new. And by the way, that's what happens in this new age. All sorts of new... Uh, 
new ways to figure it out. No, it's the gospel. And that gospel message that God brought about, that God's people need to pass on and proclaim, number three, is what it produces. What does it produce? John zeroes in in verse 3 and 4 about two results. What the message ought to produce. Number, uh, letter A, the partnership in God's family. Now, I know there's other things, but here in this passage is what he's saying. We proclaim it to you in verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, here's the foundation to it. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. So, Here's that familiar word, um, this idea of fellowship. Letter A is the partnership in God's family. And partnership is really fellowship. That you may have fellowship with us. To have in common doctrines first and truth that we are together with. That we're on the same page about. That's where fellowship is. That's what fellowship is. However, nowhere is fellowship described as coffee and donuts. Although we love coffee and donuts and other pastries, it's not fellowship. All right? I, we used to joke about it on Sunday nights long ago where, you know, you got together for punch and cookies. That's fellowship. No, it's not. I mean, you know that. But yet, it's funny how many people their mind goes to that kind of a thing. No. Fellowship is around the truths of God's Word and along the truths of who Jesus is and what He has done. And so, it's not simply about social times, although fellowship can happen in that. It's because of Christ and His death. Listen, if you're a believer, you, have, you were once an enemy of God, Right? And now you've been, the Bible says, reconciled. Your relationship with God has been made right. Not because you've been a good boy or girl, but because of Christ and His finished work. What have you done with that work? Do you keep stiff-arming it and ignoring it? Or have you humbled yourself to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work? Where he paid for your sin. He paid for your sin dying on the cross. Because I've been reconciled to God, and by the way, it's Romans 5.10, I now have a, a personal relationship with God. If you've been reconciled to God through faith in Christ, you have a personal relationship with God. How's that going? Because that's what we're getting at. That's what the, uh, the fatherly counsel of John is trying to drive at, is how's that fellowship really going? So our fellowship with the Father and the Son as a, by the way, a family member in this partnership, a family member... It's about ongoing life practice of worship and all that it entails. I couldn't help but think of the song in the hymnal, I am His and He is mine. 
What a joy. What a blessing. And by the way, it gets back to, are we proclaiming the message? Or are we kind of hoarding that gift to ourselves? That's a shame. And that comes back at me as it comes out to you. It's a shame that we don't share the Gospel with people that we know. Let's ask God for His help in doing that. Bypassing all the anxieties or all the excuses or whatever and be ready to share the Gospel with friends and loved ones. Well, that's what it produces. This message produces this partnership, this fellowship in God's family. And letter B, it's, it produces the possession of joy. The possession of joy. Which, honestly, in, in our day today, that seems to be a missing element. It's a missing element. Everyone's grouchy, complaining, bitter. But the, the idea here is, this is one of John as a fatherly advice is, is promoting and saying, we write these things so that, here's the purpose, so that our joy, and some uh, translations say your joy, it could go either way. Our joy, your joy, would be made complete. And so, you see at the essence it's about true, authentic fellowship with God. And by the way, this, is, um, this fellowship and the joy is not supposed to be a part-time deal. And how many of us make it a part-time deal? It's supposed to be permanent, ongoing, perpetual. It's not supposed to be permanent. It is. For those who are truly saved, it's permanent. Praise God. But is it perpetual in my life where I'm, I'm looking ahead to what is the Lord going to do next? And I, I'm walking with the Lord now, not back at camp, whatever. <laughs> but right now, walking with the Lord Jesus in my life. So in having proclaimed the message of life, you know God. And it's passed down to you over the year, centuries You'll know God and be to be reconciled with Him, enjoy fellowship with Him and His family. Number four brings us to prioritizing what's next is verse five. Look at it. Verse five says, "This is the message which we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all." Now He gets He gets piercing into our hearts and our habits. And he says, let's, let's prioritize here who God is. That might seem kind of general, but number four, prioritizing who God is, where it, it just is so clear. He is light. Simply put. And what does light do? My goodness, look at this. We can see. You remember when the electricity went out long ago? We couldn't see. Light. I mean, it's, it's just this simple metaphor that says this is God. He is light. 
And a lot of times we just rush right over that in our Bible reading. Yep, God's like, good. And yet we stop and recognize what it is that light does. It, it's sight for us. It reveals. It, it exposes. It shines brightly. Amen? But it's pointing to the fact that God is truth. God is true. He is righteous. He is good. He is holy. He is pure. All those relate to this issue of God is light. And by the way, <laughs> yeah, it, most of the time you find this metaphor, it refers to biblical truth. So let's be a people, if you're a believer in Christ, let's be a people that remind ourselves in whatever circumstances we face of the truths of God, the, the attributes of God. That's a simple uh, type of response to things in life. But I, a lot of times I don't do that. Why? Because I'm, I'm focused on the wrong thing. I'm not focused going back to the... Wait a minute. God is... I heard at church that God's in control. You all agree with that? You're not convincing Okay, God is in control. God is sovereign. God is almighty. God is all-knowing. Would you just remind yourselves that I need some reminders of the attributes of God in my life, just like John is doing here. God is light. And oh, by the way, let her be, and in him there is no darkness. No darkness. What's that getting at? Well, not being able to see. <laughs> not being able to discern. You, you trip on stuff, you run into stuff, your shin gets bruised or whatever because of the dark. This is referring to error and false teaching and sin, just sinful, unrighteous ways. In Him there is no darkness at all. <laughs> he is absolutely perfect. Nothing exists in God's character that even slightly diminishes His perfections. Nothing. So, let's be prioritizing the character and truths and attributes of God. So prioritizing who God is will also help you and I to avoid stupid idolatry. And that's I, I struggle with that. You can struggle with that too if we're not careful. It's not like we've been totally removed from the problem of being, uh, having idolatry as a problem. Anything that's a false or misguided image of God, anything that's lower than God, that's why it's important to remind ourselves of the attributes of God from the Word. So we're not shooting underneath and saying, well, this is the way I think God is. Where do you find that in the Word? So prioritizing who God is then leads us to point number five, practicing God's truth. In this We're doing, uh, looking at verses 6 through 10 here in this chapter. Verses 6 through 10. And basically, John brings out a, a, one of his numerous contrasts in this letter. The contrast of, here's 
fake spirituality, and here's authentic spirituality. Letter A, the danger of fake spirituality. And the hint is right in front of you there in verse 6. It starts with what? If we, if we say, if we claim, if we claim that we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this, is, this first one is obviously a negative kind of a warning, something to have you and I examine in our own hearts and lives, the claim to have fellowship with God, yet that is lacking something. What's it lacking? Practical righteousness. Right? Christ-like conduct. Uh, obedience, by the way. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. And then he says, if this is the case, if there's a claim that's lacking these things, then it's a lie. We lie and we do not practice the truth. It connects to verse 8. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, this might be for Christians, but it's, it's also for those who... Claim that they have no sin. What's the problem? I, I, I don't have anything wrong. I don't even believe in God. Well, you're making him... You're, you're deceiving yourself and you're making God a liar. And so, we're alert. We, need, we must be alert to that. Um, it's a challenge to examine it in the, in the light of the... Do I have a phony profession of faith? Do you have a phony profession of faith? See, you and I can't read each other's hearts, but we can see results of how you're living, how you're talking, you know, and things like that as we get to know each other. So it's important that we are aware of this as a danger, the phony, false, fake spirituality. But it also brings forth the other side of the contrast here, letter B, the delight of authentic spirituality. Verse 7, look at verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Walk in the light, obviously walk is a familiar uh, word for us in the word of God, uh, referring to our behavior, our practice, our obedience. And by the way, John is not teaching some sinless perfection here. He's driving at spiritual, godly direction, Christ-like direction in your life. Okay? Walking in the light does what? It's His light. It reveals truth. It's His light that exposes what? Your sin. And by the way, yeah, no one's sinlessly perfect here. No one. We've all got the problem of it. And that's why he's driving at this, to point this out, saying, let it, exp let it expose your sin. Let it do that. And then you know what else the light does? It highlights what he said from the cross. It is finished. The work has been done for you to get right with God through 
faith and repentance. Here, here's the response to the gospel message. Believe and repent. Turn to Him. So, what a, what a delight that we have when we're walking with the Lord. And then finally, we wrap it up with this last point, number six. Preparing, let me put it this way. Preparing for the next moment. It's not the next Sunday. It's not the next conference. It's not the next camp time. It's the next moment, Christian. Christian, it's the next opportunity, the next moment. In verse 7 and verse 9, combined together, bring this about. It's the idea of letter A, activate the word in your life. Walk in obedience. Yield to him. Submit to his word. Humble yourself before God. Walk with him through every stage. And I know I say every and I think right away. Well, have I done this even this weekend? But again, we're not, we're not targeting sinless perfection. We're talking honoring the Lord, glorifying Him. Keep walking in this direction. Keep walking in the light of God's Word. And by the way, walking is in one direction. <laughs> we joke about that. You, know, uh, you can't walk in two directions at once. Christian, beware of... Uh, Walking in darkness. You, no. Walk in the light. Acknowledge it that you started to acknowledge it. That's what he says in verse eight, uh, 9. If we confess our sins, that's what it's there for. Christian, you've already been forgiven of your sins. That's a judicial forgiveness. In coming to faith in Christ, your conversion, you are judicially forgiven and pardoned. But why do we have verse 9? Well, you're going to sin today. Ah, uh, yeah. You're going to sin tomorrow. If we confess our sins. That's the next point. Letter B. Agree with God. Agree with God. Let's have straight and clear and specific confession. Agreeing with God about His assessment of your actions, of your thoughts. Agreeing with him. It's an interesting term. Hamalageo. To say the same thing. Don't try and contradict what God's already said about you. <laughs> Agree with God. And don't shy away from, oh, uh, you know, it's like uh, with the Catholic Church, it, it seems like you've you got to show up for confession. Well, we've got one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. So, it's an ongoing matter for us. <laughs> it's ongoing. And be glad for verse 9. Be glad for verse 9 when it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. So we activate the word, letter A, letter B, agree with God. And then letter C, as we come to the Lord's Supper, 
affirm Christ's sacrifice for you. Affirm His sacrifice on your behalf. So, yeah, moving into our time uh, around the Lord's table, it's a time for all true believers, for those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone, as Brennan said last week, faith alone in Christ alone. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, by doing so, you've entered into the fellowship with the Father and the Son. And really, this business of communion, I believe, is like the culmination, the, the, the peak of, here's Christian fellowship. Where you're, you're receiving these elements. And it's worship. It's remembering what He did for you. It's acknowledging sin. It's confessing it. It's saying, Lord, help me to turn from this and walk with you throughout all the circumstances of life. It's a time to give Him thanks, heartfelt thanks, and then partake of the elements. Never forget what it cost Jesus. Never forget. Always be quick to remember what he went through. And first of all, what he left. He left the glories of heaven. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stinky old stable. What he left and came to do, he, at the beginning of his ministry, what happened? He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to do what? Not just fast and pray, but guess what? Be tempted by the devil. How long? Yeah. That was to show what? He showed his sinless perfection. Only Jesus. His perfect what? His perfect righteousness. And then, you know, the, the crowds grew, multitudes grew, and oh boy, isn't he wonderful? Look at him heal, look at him do this and that. But then, at the triumphal entry, great praise, Hosanna, Hosanna, and then later in the week, they've turned on him. Give us Barabbas! He was falsely accused. He was arrested. He was tried. He was mocked. He was beaten. They ridiculed him. They scourged his back. They beat him in the face. Stay with it. Stay with it. For you and your sin. First and foremost, for God and His glory and His righteousness, but so that you would be redeemed. So that you, from your sinful way, would be reconciled to your Creator, God 
and not just being scourged and beaten in the face. He, he is unrecognizable, right? Then they crowned him with a crown of thorns. They humiliated him before the crowds going on to Calvary. They laid him out on the cross, nailed these, not this little house nails, but spikes into his hands and feet and raised him up. The cross falls into the hole in the ground. But there is where he did what he said he would do. He did what he said he would do. That's what he came to do. And then, yes, his heart burst. That was a, that was a medical issue. His heart burst from within. He did. He bowed his head, gave up his spirit, and he was dead. And there he died for you, the perfect spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who now for believers only is a refuge of protection from the wrath of God. That's pretty serious phraseology, but that's true. God is holy and righteous and he will judge sin and he judged sin upon his Son in place of you who have believed. If you do not believe, if you have pushed aside the truth of the Bible and the Gospel story, the, the elements don't mean anything to you, so let them pass by. Don't partake. It's for those who have humbled themselves and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and acknowledged their sin before a holy God. Also that you could call God your Father. You've been reconciled. So let's be honest with God first in partaking of the elements here. I'd like the, the men to come at this time who are helping to serve. Christian, we are called to examine our own hearts. And uh, in this time that we will have, as the elements are being passed along, um, take the opportunity to uh, talk to your Father in heaven. Take time to confess sin to your Father in heaven. And with God's help, get things made right and give him thanks and praise for what he has accomplished on our behalf. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have no right to come before you in our own strength, in our own achievements, but Lord, we come to You based on what Jesus did, His shed blood, and His perfect work at Calvary. And Lord, we want to be a people that boast 
in the cross of Christ and in the work of Jesus on our behalf. Please help us, Lord, in this time. Help each one of us here to really be honest and honest with ourselves, Lord, and honest with You, obviously. And Lord, I pray for those who have not received, not come to faith in Christ, not turned from their sin. I pray, Lord, that You would uh, bring about Your good work and Your miracle work to help them in trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, do Your good work in this. Help them to confess sin to You. Help them to call out to You. To welcome You into their lives as the Lord and Savior. And there is no one else. So help us, Lord, in lifting You up in that way. Please be glorified in this, we ask. And now, Lord, as we partake... uh, as we pass out the elements and eventually partake, uh, guide us in this, again, for your, uh, for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you'll take the, the bread.
never really mentioned a whole lot at communion time, but uh, you might remember what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea. A lot of times it's just it's used in, in a way for salvation. But Jesus is sending a letter to his beloved body, the church at Laodicea, where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. <laughs> and I will dine with him and he with me. Folks, that's fellowship. That's true fellowship. And that's what we want to do here is acknowledge that. Acknowledge the presence of the Lord here and what He has accomplished for us. And Paul writes then in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which He was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake. And our Father, we thank you so much for what you have... Uh, Reveal to us in your word about uh, your chosen people and, and their order of worship and how blood was required as a sacrifice. Blood was to be shed. And thank you, Lord, that it culminates in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross where He shed His blood for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Lord, help us in remembering that and the precious, the precious blood of Jesus shed on our behalf. Lord, thank You. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take the juice.
In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. I'd like the, uh, our singers to come back. We're going to close with a song. And guys, you can be seated. Thank you very much. As the singers are coming, just remember that uh, we have a benevolence. This is a time for giving in the benevolence offering, if you'd like. Um, there's a box right there in between the doors or a love offering plate uh, out in the foyer to help out with folks in need in our congregation first and foremost, and then with those who uh, we believe we can help in some way from our, um, from our community. Um, all right. This is kind of a, one of those things where I, I thought maybe we should sing it before communion, but we're just going to sing it now, and it's uh, still relevant for us, very helpful. Let's stand together. Communion song.
friend. We don't want you to miss that. It's, it is about our eternity and where you will spend it. And so we again implore you, come to faith in Christ. There'll be a, a prayer couple up front here uh, following our closing prayer. And, uh, or if you're, you've come with someone, please turn and talk to them. And please respond to the call of Jesus Christ upon your life. May the grace, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Please remember tonight, uh, we have an evening service in the Fellowship Hall. We encourage you all to come and join us. Chris Ward will be sharing the word there. Thank you so much and God bless you. Rejoice in Him today. Thank you. You're dismissed.